Okay, welcome to episode 10 of Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast. Um, this is our Christmas sort of special, being recorded on the 16th of December, 2013. Um, how are you, Alex? You feeling all Christmassy? I'm doing good. I'm uh, I'm feeling Christmassy. I got the I got the tree up. You feeling sufficiently Christmassy? Yeah, I got the tree up. We uh, went and picked it up. Uh, real tree. I don't like these artificial tree things. We always get a real tree. So uh, we got that up, and I'll, my girlfriend decorated it. I did the manly thing and put the star on the top. Oh, there uh, you go. There you go. <laughs> she cheated all the other little bits. I got the I got the real tree too, but my wife's making me feel guilty. She was like, "We killed a perfectly innocent tree," and I was like, "You know, I've <laughs> I've never thought of it like that in my life." But yeah, yeah. we we brought it in, and they don't have uh, stands here. Like they don't. You just get a bucket and you get some rocks from outside, and then you stick the tree in there and put the rocks around, and it <laughs> it works fine. And then yeah, but I I've never seen that. Like the the guy handed me a bucket at the. Uh, tree farm or whatever and i was like what the hell is this for and why are you giving me rocks but yeah it, it's where it works it works all right it looks good i've been happy to look at it while i'm while i've been grinding yeah well that's uh we go up to like a local tree farm or nursery or whatever you call it as well and um they're all it says british growing trees uh reasonably so and you see them all growing like from little saplings you know for years to come etc so it's quite cool that is when cool you but um, we go in and you get to pick them there. They're all sort of like in, like you say, pots with rocks or whatever. But yeah, we have a stand. Um, but the good thing is, one one year we bought it, we got it home and it wouldn't fit the stand. Oh. And it took, me, it took me hours, literally hours with like a saw to try and oh trim it God. down. You know, trim it down into this little stand. And what we do now, I learned from that mistake. The last couple of years I've been up there. Uh, the guys have got chainsaws, you know, that work up there. So I just take my stand up, they trim it down in two seconds with a chainsaw and just stick it in the stand for you. Oh, my so, God, uh, that was pretty that was, smart. That reminds yeah, that me great. of uh, one time uh, Jaka and I were in Prague, and he uh, he, he thought he had a universal... He, he realized right before Sunday, actually, I wasn't there for this, but he thought he had a... Uh, there's the phone, all, all sorts of, I got construction in my house, the phone going off and I'm yeah, trying. Yeah, it's cool. It's like, it's Santa's workshop. It's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is where the magic happens. He thought he had a universal adapter, but he didn't for the outlets they have in the Czech Republic. And Jaka, uh, he was like, I'm not missing a Sunday, right? So he took, he took out the universal, uh, I want to say universal remote. I don't know why, but the, I'm, I played for 15 hours yesterday. So if I'm a little spacier today, forgive me. But yeah, he pulled out the universal adapter. He looked at the prongs and then he looked at the thing and he was like, I think I can get this in. So he got some knife from a kitchen and, and whittled down the power, uh, the the universal adapter until he could put it in and a few sparks flew but it gave power to his laptop and then wow. he grinded Sunday yeah to give an idea of how committed that guy was and then like I think we had a picture on Facebook of our setup eventually we had to run it through we found a way we could run it through like three or four different adapters and then like this like little battery thing and yeah we have a I should I should find that picture we should put it up on onehour.com it was pretty funny yeah, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, you can get resourceful and get it going. Exactly. 
So uh, a few things to discuss. Um, a lot of the regular listeners and people that caught episode nine, uh, I've been promoting a deal we're doing just now. If you get a one out or a one out, I'm a bit spaced and I've not been playing any poker, so <laughs> there's, there's no excuse for me. Um, if you get a William Hill account just now through uh, our site, you know our, our affiliate code and stuff, um, I'm giving away £15 credit at Amazon.com or .co.uk, whatever, uh, to buy what you want. Or you can have a poker book sent to you, like Mental Game of Poker or Mental Game of Poker 2. So you can take either the cash equivalent or, or a book sent to you. All the details for that are on oneouter.com. And just before the podcast started recording... I've updated the details of the New Year tournament, and it's going to be the January 6th, uh, 2014, Sunday, uh, 7 p.m. Again, all the details are on oneouter.com. It's a $10 buy-in, and this is a sort of like Sayonara uh, party tournament to PokerXFactor.com. And they've handed in quite a lot of free passes. Uh, the, as well as the prize pool, the winner will get a free year at PokerXFactor, second six months and then there's like 10 one month passes uh for like the you know the next 10 guys out the tournament or whatever so lots added value in that and they offer if you sign up for a william hill account you can get the 15 pounds uh that'll be running until then as well we might extend that we don't know yet so get involved in that and hope to see lots of you in the new year special tournament in january and then we're working on dates of the new league starting up next year, and that'll likely start either towards the end of January, the first tournament, or first week of February, something like that. Um, so, yeah, hopefully see lots of you guys involved in that. Lots of added value. Great way to start the new year. You know, grab yourself some poker training or whatever you can, and, you know, hopefully it'll be good fun in the tournament as well. Um, Alex, what about uh, your little uh, plugs and stuff? What about... Um, People getting involved for lessons and stuff. What's your schedule like? My my schedule is loaded. I can't like I I have so many lessons up until hey if you guys want to get a lesson with me you better contact me now at assassinatocoaching at gmail dot com. Uh, we uh, pretty much loaded up until PCA, but there's still a few spots left. But you you don't want to. Uh, well, if if you want to get prepared, if you're going out to PCA, we can definitely talk a lot about live tournaments. I have the unique experience of having finished the final two tables of three EPTs and never getting higher than seventh, so I can tell you a lot of what not to do. But <laughs> there's a... Uh, yeah, and uh, check out my videos at Pocket Fives Training. Check out my Twitter at The Assassinato. Uh, check out my Facebook at Facebook.com slash Assassinato. Support! Poker is for sale because you know it's hard out here. You know, it's it's di it's difficult now. This poker thing, man. All these kids with the five bed and the whatever, man. I don't. Everybody, my head is just melted after yesterday, man. I can't. Poker used to be so much easier. You three bet, they folded. You four bet, people would go, you crazy person, and they folded. But no, no, not anymore, man. With these. Kids work in med school hours in Latvia and Estonia, man. <laughs> anyway, well, sorry, go ahead. Why don't Why don't you tell us a little bit about yesterday? I saw on Facebook you had some deep runs and stuff. Uh, notably, you final table the the second chance on Poker Stars, the two fifteen. Yeah, yeah. I I finished eighth in a one hundred nine thirty k guaranteed on iPoker, which was kind of frustrating. Then I finished tenth in the monsoon on eight eight eight, which was annoying. And then uh. 
I was second out of nine in ships at the second chance final table, and I was obviously very excited. It's not every day you get to go for 48,000. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I really just proceeded to play like absolute shit. I don't, I don't, I don't know what, uh, obviously I, I, I take great pride in my, when, when I'm off, I, I've done, when I used to be off, I was off. Like my, I just did big bluffs that made no sense. And I did calls that could not be proven anyway. And I, I kind of realize I'm not. I just published an article called uh, Feel Game. Uh, you can check it out on Bluff Magazine. There's lots of addendums and extra notes for these podcasts if you're new. You can, uh, you can research further. It's like the Matrix. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> yeah, and it, it was basically talking about how you can quantify whether you're a good feel player or not. And then I found out what I essentially did is I isolated all the spots where like math could not explain uh, the move I did completely and then i did a tally as to how many of them i was right on and i found out if i flipped a coin i would have done better than my, how my raw instinct did so <laughs> i you know i mean obviously i do cool things once in a while like i i called with king jack high for all my chips on the river and was right and uh uh, on a in WSOP, and when I went deep in their six max tournament, I did a call with like fourth pair for like eighty big blinds, and I've done cool stuff like that and cool triple barrels. But a lot of it is it, it really it, it's hand ranging. It's a lot of work with Flopzilla. It's a lot of rope memorization and a lot you know like seven million hands or whatever it is. It's not so much like innate feel and. Yeah. I uh, I've worked really hard to make it so when I'm off, I I play a game that is really well proven, and pretty much everything I did was, uh, you, you know, it was fine on paper, but I, I just didn't really. There's sometimes you have this spark, there's other times you don't. I, you know, and it, you, there was a lot of frustrating things. I ran queens and aces. I I. I flop trips and a guy river to flush and you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. That'll do it. And then I, you know, I, I don't know. It was a, there was one time I, I opened and Shane Gamble normally he's very aggressive toward me, but he, uh, this kind of like lit up Twitter. It was kind of funny, but, uh, uh, lit up. It was like a few messages. People like making fun of me on command <laughs> on command seems to be, uh, he seems to take poker very seriously. So, more power to him so he was very critical of this but uh i opened ace king and like shane gamble hadn't been three betting me at all normally he does but yeah he three bet me pre-flop and we're like 40x deep and i had ace king off and i could have shoved it would have been fine it would have been profitable but if you if you ever took a gander at matthew john's applications of no limit hold him and realize how to do the math for all in situations you'd see a lot of times pre-flop you're pushing very thin edges and i I, uh, uh, I'm not arrogant about much in poker. I, I actually think I have some of the weakest self-confidence of anybody I've, uh, ever met who plays poker, but I really doubt there's somebody who's done as much work with flops and turns in rivers and statistics and 30, 40 big blind play than me. So a 35, 30 X stack is worth a lot to me. And now I feel like Phil Hummy of saying that, but <laughs> I did, he, he, he three, but, and I felt weird and I, I've, I, you know, I final table the Sunday million when I was 19 years old and I had this weird feeling when a guy opened, I was like just full days queen. And, uh, 
I, I, I didn't do it and I got it in. And then, uh, you know, the guy at Kings and there's like, it's very rare. I get like a feeling like yeah. it's not even a gut instinct. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's just math. I mean, the guy at the table, his three bet versus me had been like 3.2% or something. So it's like, even if you shove, you're pressing like one big blind plus of yeah. an edge. And in, in which case it's impossible to quantify, you know, all the possible flops and how they could play out and whatnot. Uh, but likely you could glean a higher profitability, uh, a higher edge by just flatting. So I flatted. Uh, the board came jack for seven rainbow. He led, and I, 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 I did what I do a lot of the time, which is I make goofy folds, and you know a lot of people don't understand it. And but I was like, oh, I'm gonna show because I'm just gonna ruin my image. <laughs> like I'm just gonna show Ace King, and everybody's you know he's lost it. You know like. You know, you know the grinded out reg. You know what I mean? Like Ace King's a drawing hand. Yeah. I was like, this yeah. is exactly what it's gonna look like. And when I won, I won my first live tournament. I did crap like this all the time, and people were like, "Oh, just withered old online reg at 25. Look at this guy, man." And yeah, and then you know you got away, and then I got away with a bluff lighter, which was cool. I uh, I folded to what's his name? This is Cat. What's that guy's name? I what was it? I don't I don't remember shit anymore, man. You don't <laughs> never do drugs, kids. Never do them, man. Like this is what he was like mind alterer, yeah, mind alterer. And he it, this guy played fantastic. He just I I mean he was just putting the pressure on. I probably should have my normal stats on him were pretty like uh were pretty like rela- he was pretty relaxed and I I didn't realize how you know. I, I I thought he picked up some hands, but I, I should have realized he was just kind of playing insane. I made a fold that was really thin. Like, normally I would have bluffed him, and I, I kind of – I don't know if it was nerves or it, it, or just I, – I, I don't know what it was. I, I, I didn't feel completely – Sorry. Was it near the yeah? Was it near the end of your session? Was this like the yeah, last? Yeah, it was. Thing? It was the very last thing, and it's like you know, I started at ten yeah. in the morning. It's midnight, and I I normally that makes me a bit more aggressive when I'm tired. But so when I get a feeling like you should fold here, I'm like, whoa, you know, this is really pushing against the grain for yeah. me. So I I generally trust it. But you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, I could have done this and this and this differently, and and. You know, instead I played it a little closer to the vest, and I finished fifth. When I started second in chips, which you know, I, 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 I think I come into more final tables as seventh or eighth in chips and win it than most people I know. So when I come in with second in chips and finish fifth, I, I'm ripping my hair out because there's just, I, in my mind, I should have at least been heads up or something, which is completely ridiculous and not. Anybody who analyzes tournament poker can tell you that's ridiculously dumb. But I, I don't know. Part of being a tournament poker player is you have to be foolish. If you were really talented, you'd be playing cash games. Uh, <laughs> you, have to, you have to be like a sick human being. You have to like really you, – you, you can't like sit down and go, I'm going to make money like a considerate, smart man today you gotta go no man i'm going for the 200k again which i haven't won for three four years or something you know i had you have to be like i i love it when people complain about sunday it's like oh my god this is crazy this is also not the day you win hundreds of thousands of dollars the injustice of the world so you have to be kind of i don't know you have to be weird to be a tournament player and perhaps that's coming out a little today as like 
poker hungover rant on into this microphone. So what's uh, you you finished fifth, was it? Yep, fifth or fourteen or something. I too. Yeah. It was a no eighteen. I I don't know. I think yeah. I think it was fourteen. I I don't look at the payouts. I I just don't. You know, there's times like there's on different sites there's payout jumps where you really have to pay attention. But for stars, it's pretty flat, and I feel like I know the terrain and uh, that I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sick. I'm addicted. I I just have to play for the win every time. I don't I don't know what's wrong with me. It's probably, probably cost me a lot of money, but it's probably made me money too. I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I'm happy to still be in this game. I'm so messed you're up. Doing, you're doing fine. Yeah, you're it's all fine. good. It's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> okay, well, uh, go into the uh, questions then, and you can try and learn how to become like Alex. You know, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> a rambling be... mess after a 15-hour session. Yeah, you bad, you're going to be battered and worn out. Hit them up at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com. <laughs> and I, prob- I, I canceled a lesson this morning because I knew this is exactly how I would be, just rambling all <laughs> over the place. And I, c- I couldn't fall asleep last night. But anyway, go ahead. Okay, the first question in from our, one of our loyal listeners. Uh, it's from Stephen Meehan, and it's, how did Alex manage a job and playing poker at the same time? Uh, like, what would his playing hours be? Would he play every day? And how did he know when to quit his job and take up poker full-time? That's a, well, what, what a big part of it was I was 18 and stupid and had too much energy. So if doing this now, it probably would have killed me. And poker was much easier now. I, I'm going to... The story I tell with me working was pretty ridiculous. If you think about it, I would... I, I would recommend a much more conservative style. Uh, I, the, the way I did it, I worked swing shift. Uh, I was a security guard at a Fortune 500 company's uh, headquarters to this day. I don't know how I got the job at 18. I was real skinny, and I probably couldn't have stopped a very angry soccer mom running through the swinging doors, but they, uh, you know, they, they hired me for some reason. It was a great job too. My walkie talkie worked in my apartment. So a lot of times I go, go watch over this building. I just go walk to my apartment and play Xbox and get paid 15 bucks an hour. True story. No, 10 bucks an hour. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, I, well, first of all, you pick a job that's not exactly demanding. So I picked security guard because I could fall asleep. I could, I listen to poker podcasts in their infancy uh, the Pocket Fives podcast back in 2006, mm-hmm. and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I like. It, the I picked I picked one that doesn't exist anymore. So <laughs> there was a few others, but uh, I don't even think you can find the archive. But you know, I I listen to podcasts and I like read things throughout the day, and then you know try to catch up on sleep or something, and then uh, you, know, I, you can tell I was just a model employee. But anyway. Oh, yeah. But, you know, hey, I mean, I was a commercial fisherman. I did enough real work. But anyway, you know, I, uh, I'd i come home after working for eight hours and then I'd play. So I'd come home at about 10 p.m. and I'd play from I'd play I'd play from about 1030 a.m. till I think it was like five or six in the morning. And then I, I'd sleep. Uh, I can't even do the math how many hours. It, yeah, I sleep, you know, I'd play till seven or eight a lot of times. and I'd try to grab five, six seven hours of sleep, wake up, you know, do it again. But I mean, I, I was, uh, I was much more passionate. I, I, 
I don't know. I just I, I loved poker back then. I, I couldn't resist. I I, I every day I came home, it was like waking up on Christmas. Ha ha. See how I tied that into the intro. But yeah. uh, but uh, no, I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of passion for that. And a lot of people, a lot of people just frankly don't have that because poker is much more frustrating now. Poker money grew on trees in poker back then. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't good at poker. I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just I knew this really basic jam rejam style because I got a poker X Factor account. <laughs> There's a plug. <laughs> See how I did this? It sounds like I prepared it, but no, I got you know, I got a P- PXF account. I watch all of Johnny Bex's videos. And I played that in like five, ten, twenty dollar tournaments, and I played nine tables back when if you were playing four, you were a sicko. And you know, in the money, you know, I ran good and the money kind of stacked up. And then I, uh, and I knew it was time. I, I had a goal for myself. I had a lot of money saved up from my days commercial fishing. That makes it sound like I did it for years for my months commercial fishing. But it, I, when I came, when I came to Seattle, I said, look, I'm going to have six mo- months expenses. You know, I took all my expenses and I added 20%. I said, you know, and then, for the month and I times that by six. I was like, I want that in a bank account separate from all poker bankroll because if I can't, you know, if I go broke and I can't find a job in six months, I I don't deserve to be on this earth, much less be a professional poker player. So I I felt in with the security, with the security of that kind of plan, I, I felt like that really freed me to play the style I wanted to play. So and then, yeah, my second month of working security, I, I made seven thousand dollars playing poker online and i made 1200 from my job uh you know working 40 hours a week or not really working i i said okay well it seems kind of silly for me to keep working security so i quit october 31st 2006 and oh, halloween yeah halloween yeah it was kind of kind of an auto man right but uh, i would recommend people right now for, the first thing is you're not going to be a professional poker player overnight anymore there's no more you know, a lot of these 18, 19 year old kids, you know, they can live at home and stuff. They can go after, you know, you know, Godspeed. Good luck to you. But, you know, if you're an adult and you have a real job, you're, you're going to have to treat it like, you know, you got to treat it like you're going to night school. If you're paying for it yourself, you, you're really going to focus and take notes and all that. You, you don't being a poker professional means never having the luxury luxury of shrugging off a bad performance. It never, it means never going half speed. It means never watching sports center while you play it means never having a drink while you play all of that. When you play four hours, you got to be on, you got to have a in. I tell a lot of these guys, you know, I say, what sport did you play? And they, they'll say something like hey, tennis is always a classic one. I don't know why, but a lot of tennis players come into poker and, I go, okay, let's say you screwed up two backhands to give away a match. Uh, what would your coach have you do the next practice? Well, psh, I'd be doing backhands until my, you know, until my arm fell off. Well, it's the same thing with poker. You got to find something you're not doing well. And then when you play, you got to look for it. You have to have a note on your screen. You're going to attempt it. You're going to mark the hand. You're going to look at it later. You're going to find videos about it and you're going to get better. I realized I had no check raising game a couple years ago and then I had to, I watch everything I could find about check raising and I, I feel like I do it way better than a lot of people now. And it's a very balanced range and I know how to check raise bloat the pot out of position a lot better than a lot of other people, but that didn't come, you know, I didn't, I didn't 
just look at the game and know what to do like Phil Ivey. I don't have that. And a lot of people don't. You have yeah. to really work on it. So you got to, you know, and you got to make sure your family understands, you know, like that poker is a serious endeavor to me. This is just it. This is just as if I were training to be a chess master. It, it, the only difference is there's a lot more money in this. You know, if you have significant others, uh, if you have a significant other, maybe you're Mormon and you have significant others. But may, if you have a significant other, go, look, this is my money. This is my recreation money. I'm going to put this in a, a serious endeavor. I'm going to treat it like a small business I'm trying to run. It's very fun for me. I don't know if it's going to work out, but let's not talk about the money. Let's pretend this money's gone and I'm going to focus. It, it takes... You know, and then when you can have that six months saved up and, you know, you have to do a risk analysis. What am I giving up with my job? You know, if it's, you know, if it's, uh, you know, 60K a year with health care and benefits and a pension eventually that you're pretty secure to get, you, you better think long and hard before you become a poker player because, you know, paying – I pay out of pocket for everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it adds up. It really adds up. And trying to get health insurance as a poker player is really not fun. And But, you know, I mean, you can do it. But, and I mean, there's a lot of things that rack up. And you try to establish, you know, you try to get the credit to buy a house as a poker player. It's not really fun. Uh, there's some cultures where being a poker player is still frowned upon. And if it's not frowned upon, it's celebrated as, you know, here's the guy who has all the money who gambles all the time, which isn't fun either. So, you know, you got to there's a lot of literature out there about becoming a professional poker player. Look into all of it. And, you know, good luck to you, Meehan. Yeah, it's one of the things you said there as well, I think, is explaining to your significant other or your family and poker. If they don't have if they come from a total, you know, not involved remotely in poker or red anything, it, it does have that gambling tag still attached to it, and people are going to get their backs up straight away. Like, um, you know, if you have a wife or a steady girlfriend, and you're all of a sudden saying, I'm away to give up my job and become a full-time poker player. I mean, like you say, especially with the, the current climate still a little bit, and fear in people, if you're giving up, like Alex says, a huge job or a salary like that, um, is something you you really need to sort of think about. Uh, the other thing is, I know a few older guys that work, and they find it just no energy to come home and play. Um, yeah. But what's what's helped them a lot is things like rush poker and Zoom and things like that. They can get a ton of hands in in a short space of time. And yeah, okay, it's not you know th there are uh, nuances to that game that aren't within a standard MTT etc. But they are still getting a way to build a bankroll up and get their sort of, for want of a better word, you know, their poker fix sort of thing. And they can still move up the limits and stuff with that. And what do you think about that for guys that have only got maybe, you know, a couple of hours a night, three, four hours a night to, you know, Zoom or Rush, things like that? I think that's fantastic, you know. And there's a lot of people that play, you know, a lot of things, chess, fantasy, sports, StarCraft, and they play it very seriously. And I think it's very natural I think it's very healthy for men to have a competitive endeavor. And, you know, the more they work in it, the more they get out of it. And one of the things I love about poker is you can make money at it. And there's no one saying, well, you're not a professional, so we're not going to give you the gig. Or you're not with the union, so we're not going to give you the gig. I know a lot yeah. of guys who, you know, they, they have a real job, but they can really play poker because they put a lot of hours into it. And they're really tough to beat. And 
you can't shake them because they have the salary, the house, the kids and all that. I tell everybody, like, you don't have to be a pro every I mean, you go to Las Vegas. I'm not, I remember like you go to Las Vegas and you go into to a bar. Half the assholes in that place are going to be calling themselves professional poker players. There's so few real professional poker players and there's nothing wrong with coming home and playing for a couple hours every day. And if you, but another thing is if you really want to get into this, it's just like a sport. Tiger Woods was bench pressing 350 when he came on. And a lot of people were like, Oh, this is golf. You don't need that. And then he took over. He took every edge he could get when I was 18. And I was like, okay, look, I got to get a full-time job because you know, I can't, I can't rent an apartment without a job. And I, I, I got nowhere else to go. I, when I, I stayed, I, I was really in shape. I, I worked out a lot because I knew I needed that energy later on. And there was a lot of times I would have liked to eat more, you know, delicious foods and skip a workout and stuff like that. And I, I didn't get to do that. That wasn't an option if I wanted to be a pro. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of investments you got to think about. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being, uh, playing poker seriously on one of the great things about this game is anybody can put in the hours and be serious and you don't have to you know you don't have to join some company or join some union to do it yeah and then that's one thing that still is in poker i know the games are harder and stuff like that but literally anyone can if they really dedicated themselves and all right they might not become phil ivy but they can certainly earn a, a really good living for sure uh, compared compare with other jobs that are out there for sure. And uh, I mean, to this day, I when I play a Sunday session, I don't expect to final table anything. And when I play uh, 10K, in my mind, I, I'm already prepared for if it's gone because it's going to be gone nine times out of 10. And yeah. in my head, and if the answer is, okay, if I lose this 10K, is my life severely affected, then I shouldn't be playing. I should, I should get on the plane and go home. And when you don't expect of course i do believe i deserve a win i do believe i've worked hard enough i'm confident in my game but i don't expect to win if i get a final table on a sunday that is already way ahead of the curve when you don't expect it you don't become this entitled brat and that increases your gratitude and gratitude is a real necessary ingredient for contentment and peace and happiness if you are expecting you're supposed to win every week, it, when you do win, which is a, a miraculous thing on Sunday, you're like, oh, finally, I got what is mine. You have no <laughs> gratitude. You don't feel good at all. And to this day, I still see people just kill themselves with this attitude when they play. You, gotta, you go in acting as if the money's gone. You're here to play. When you enter a chess tournament with other champions, and that's essentially what you're doing, you're expecting to lose most of the time. This is a far stupider game than chess. So you should expect to get knocked out, even if you're one of the best, most of the time. Don't Have fun with it. Take it as serious as possible. But don't make it the be-all, end-all in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I hope that's answered your question, Stephen. And the next one is from a guy emailed in dean no surname so uh okay dean says hi guys love the show keep up the good work we always like those type of emails um as a 2-4 cash player who plays the occasional mtt on sunday or any of the big series events what would alex say were the leaks cash players have playing mtts 
And what do tourney players do wrong when playing cash? All right, it's double double barrel question. Uh, double barrel. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that I see cash players do is just not play loose enough. In a cash game, you can. Uh, when I made I made a lot of money at cash playing like one two. You know, when I was like 19, but it, like if you could have watched me play, it was the most boring game in the world. I just sat there and waited to stack, you know, flop a set or, you know, get aces versus queens. And I didn't go broke in the other cooler spots that other people did. And I printed a lot of money because the blinds never go up. And if people are just going to donate money to you, there's, you know, a lot of times there's no reason for you to go after every little spot. Especially if you're playing a lot of tables, going after all those little spots could help you not identify a much bigger spot, or it could wear you out throughout the day. Hey, Barry, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I did a little feedback thing. I was wondering if I was talking to myself for no, five minutes. No, I can hear you. Can all hear right, you. all right, good. But, so yeah, they a lot of times they get very patient, you know what I mean? They wait for other people to make mistakes, and that'll take you pretty far in tournaments, but... You have to get active. You have to realize how you can steal these pots pre-flop. You have to realize when you can take pots away post-flop and perhaps more, you know, daring uh, flop three bets or flop check raises or uh, bigger double barrels than perhaps. A lot of times I see a lot of cash game guys set up guys for the river and I, I just don't understand it because on the river, if people can just put in more Monopoly money to possibly get more Monopoly money and see your hand, they're usually going to do it. In a cash game, you know, if the guy has to put in $2,000, that's a serious decision. That doesn't take place in tournaments. It, that, that curiosity factor is a big deal, the fact people get to see your hand on the river. So most of the play comes on the flop in the turn in tournaments also due to the stack sizes and i see a lot of guys set up things for rivers with cash games re not realizing if you make one big s mistake in a cash game it's not really a big deal because you can reload and possibly profit off of that looser image you've cultivated but that's obviously not an option in tournaments so you need to do a lot more stealing and keep it uh keep it on the flop into the turn play a lot more and uh when tournament players come into cash games the, the it, you see the you see the reverse of this, just like trying to take advantage of every spot, overextending themselves. And these guys who can just wait are usually just, and they think everybody's bluffing because in tournaments, everybody is bluffing because you get shorthanded and it turns into a competition to who can pick up the chips. Uh, whoever picks up the most orphan pots usually is the one to win the tournament. In a cash game where you can't, uh, in a cash game where there's no annies or anything, people just can afford to wait for you to make a big mistake. So, yeah. yeah. Anyhow. Yeah, and he also says that he attended uh, your webinar and felt that that plugged a few leaks on short stack play. Good, and man! He looks, forward, he looks forward to more of them if there's going to be any more you know, sort of webinars you're there doing. There are going to be more when I get back from PCA, I'm thinking. We'll see. We'll see, man. We'll see. We got to... We definitely have to do more of those. I got a, I got a lot of PowerPoints I'm working on, so that's good. Yeah, we'll definitely get more in it, more of those in. Cool. Okay, the next question is from Robbie Clapper, and it is, Hey, guys, love the podcast. Again, that's great. Everyone should start their emails with that. Yeah, they should. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my question is on stack sizes. Could you give a rundown? rundown? So rather... 
rundown on how to use your stack size and tourneys, how to fight against the big stack, how to work with the small stack, and uh, that pain in between the sizes that get you into trouble, the medium-sized stack. I, uh, okay, there's a, there's an article called Playing With Your Stacks. I don't remember how I spell I think it's plain and then W-I-T. Uh, if you just put that in bluff, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna find the article, and that'll kind of give you the basics. Um, the big thing is I think you can raise fold. I, I here here's the big thing. I'll tell you what normal people say, and I'll tell you what I think. A lot of people say you can't raise fold from less than 20 big blinds. This has been changed now that now with the advent of Pisagno or you know and people like that. So they go down to 15x or something like that. I think you can raise fold from 9 to 7x. If the min raise is proven profitable, if you are going, I'm waiting x to win y, it needs to work this percentage of the time, and it works this percentage of the time, you're, you, you are making money. You are printing money. If PokerStars gave you a table where you only got to do that all day, every day, you would be just they would have just given you access to an atm if the people were folding a sufficient amount of the time it doesn't matter if you have aces and you raise fold there you'll still be making money on the hand you'll just have completely diminished how much money you could possibly be making so a lot of people say oh you don't want to raise fold there because you're going to be getting a really good price and that's not really how poker works it's if you're risking X to win Y, this is all I break down in poker. You're risking X to win Y. It needs to work this percentage of the time. If it works more than that, a lot of times you can do that. Of course, you have to think about your stack size in relation to all the other uh, stacks. A lot of times people didn't like getting into short stacks because they, uh, a lot of people didn't like getting into short stacks back in the old days because, you know, people would really mess with you. Now a lot of people really respect a short stack so now of course if you're the wsop main event final table and three people have 150 big blinds and you have 11x and you probably should not be min raising and folding because it's the easiest thing in the world for these guys to put you in but if you're at a turbo final table and the average stack is 14x a 9x stack to me can be raised folded now i don't do that hardly ever but you know, if you have like do say the guy's only rejamming the top 10% of hands, you'd be foolish to f- fold because you do not have the equity to call the jam. You don't have to call the jam. And the min raise is just going to print you money. It, without cards, it would make you money. The other thing people say is you can't three bet fold from less than 30 big blinds. This is hogwash. There, the, a lot of times the 20x stacks, I'm not going to say the name of the reg, but there was a reg who thought you could never three bet fold from less than 25 big blinds and his fold to three bet versus me was 81 percent over a really big sample and he would open it to 2x i would make it 4.5 i'm making it 4.5 to win about five big blinds that needs to work about 47 percent of the time and he's folding 80 percent of the time you're printing money and but if i stuck to this rule i would not be doing that well uh the other thing is uh, 30 and 40 big blind stacks. I think people, I, I think people play a little too fast. I, I think a lot of people are really, if you really do the math, like when you're three betting and you want a guy jamming an extremely wide range, a lot of these hands like ace queen off and pocket 10, they're not making that much money in these big all in situations. You're pushing a very small edge. Try flatting these guys. Look at their post flop stats. Look if they, 
don't double barrel too much. Then your mediocre hands go up in value because they're not going to take you off. See if they see bet too much. Then maybe you could check raise them. Maybe they never see bet unless they hit a hand. Then it's very basic to play these people. Take those advantages when you have 30 to 40x. Don't go so quick for the three bet calls all 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 in i play a lot of i play a much slower style it's i used to play the very active three bet four bet game and in 2012 that got me to 160k in makeup now i i i am not i don't know how to say this without sounding like an arrogant ass but i've been making money for the last couple years and been really happy with it you know won a live tournament my my horse with the same style this kid was playing an average buy-in of like 18 dollars you know not really playing fast you know kind of playing against the grain a little bit with a lot of these standards we just talked about he shipped the bigger 55 on a sunday for 40k you know i i feel like this in this is what when you watch like Basagno and phil helmuth do you think those guys have rules no way uh, the, you can't have like specific rules and if everybody else has this set of rules you got to go against it and you watch like Negreanu and Ivy and those guys they don't have these rules and there's a lot of people that think poker needs to be played this certain way that's a way of I, I don't know projecting yourself you're you're really trying to you're you are making poker way too personal it's a damn game if people are doing one thing do another mess with it have fun with it i think i just gave you some good ideas and there is a ton of literature on playing with different stack sizes i gave you one for me and if you have a pocket fives training account look at my opening theory videos and watch my three bet theory videos and it'll give you a lot of the standards uh for different stack sizes that kind of was the more old school standard and then you know add in some of the things we talked about today you're gonna be you're gonna be fine you'll you'll do good that's it. And keep listening to the one hour podcast. And if you get stuck on something, then just send the question in and ask Alex. Send it in. <laughs> Free consultation, man. Poker for sale. We out we out here. We're doing it. Anyway. The next one is actually Stephen Meehan has managed to sneak another question in. <laughs> uh, he emailed me and he got this one to me on Facebook. So this one is uh, what should new players be doing uh, or looking at when reviewing their own hand histories? specifically new players uh what they should be doing so maybe someone that's just started to like take their game a bit more serious and start to look at reviewing hands what would be your sort of key pointers for them alex yeah that's a, a one of the things that 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 is an excellent question and sorry my my house is like a hispanic tyler perry movie so i don't <laughs> know everybody i'm doing an, it everybody knows i'm doing a radio show but like nobody stops talking in costa rica like ever and then you know the guy's working on the house so if you guys hear anything in the background whatever it's free you know so deal with yeah, it yeah it's very it's it's free. free anyway it's very if you were pay, if you uh, it's good it's good all right yeah. yeah one of the things that i remember one time a bunch of guys were watching yeah there's a microwave Hope you all can hear. It. Hope you all can hear that. Honey, por favor. Okay. Anyway, but uh, they, uh, uh, you guys are, you guys are unlucky. We should have gotten into an argument in Spanish. She would have laughed with my accent. But uh, no, uh, I remember one time a bunch of guys were, uh, a bunch of guys were watching uh, hand histories on a big screen. And, you know, I knew them all right, but like a few of them had been doing really well at the time. They're not doing that well now, and 
you know, and they kind of got on my nerves because every, everything was just a backhanded compliment to me. And, you know, and I was just, and they were watching a hand history and they were going through and they kept saying, I feel like, da, 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 da. I feel like, da, 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 da. I feel like this isn't going to work because he's doing this. And I, and they didn't have a hut up or anything. And finally, I just burst out. I was like, you guys must have amazing sex because you just feel everything. There's nothing going on here. Like, there's just nothing going on. It, what you want to be looking for, first off, get a, watch your hand histories and hold a manager or a poker tracker. Okay? So you have a bunch of statistics. Learn how the different statistics work and see if you manipulated them correctly. And then if they followed with the results you thought they would follow with. And another thing people don't realize is... You know, the, take the, take this formula, take the amount you're risking divided by the size of the pot you're going to win, and that's going to give you an approximation for how often your bets need to work as an absolute bluff. That pretends you have no equity in the pot. So this gives you something to compare it to. If you bet half the pot, you risk you bet one dollar into a two dollar pot, you would go one dollar divided by three, and you get your bet needs to work 0.33 repeating percent of the time now if a guy's full to see that is 60 percent you probably made a profitable bet here if the guy's full to see that is 10 percent you have to ask yourself did i have a good reason for doing this did i have backdoor draws did he have a full to turn continuation bet that would cause me to double barrel look at those things formulate plans if you see a guy never folds to see bets but always folds to the turn bet and then you just barreled once you played the absolute worst you could have played against that guy make a note I need to be checking the full deterrent continuation, but I'm not checking this. Write it down on a sticky note. Put it on your computer. And then you have to make goals for yourself. When you play, when you play Tony Ox Pro Skater, I always use this example. Everybody who comes in playing Tony Ox Pro Skater, when we, we were kids and you're playing PlayStation games, you know, and you, you watch a guy like connecting a bunch of tricks and all that and doing these crazy combos, you're like, how the hell does he do that? Well, the game trained him. They gave him goals. Try this little thing. Try this little thing. Now connect them. It's the same thing with poker. You don't want to just free skate while you're playing. You want to go in and go, oh, okay, I wasn't double barreling enough. So I got to check people's full to turn continuation bets. And if they don't fold to turn C bets and they don't fold to flop C bets, I need to check fold or I need to have a plan to triple barrel or I have to have something different. I have to think about this really candidly i have to think about this a little a, a little beyond what i could have thought about this the day before and the other thing this re, this uh this math really helps you if you're looking for like three bet bluff spots if uh a person's fold the three bet is 46 and you do the you know you do the three bet and you do okay i'm risking x to win y it needs to work 56 percent of the time uh okay that's not really that good i needed he's folding 46 percent of the time is he opening more from this position and possibly he's folding more do i have a blocker in my hand and just keep trying to add factors and try you know try to find it try to talk about as much as possible with yourself or a friend during the hand and the more you look at it the more things are going to make sense and then one day you know i i this is all i did and i consider myself pretty you know normal as a poker player but then one day i start getting emails like you know your pocket fives training videos are different man there's a lot of things i've never thought about and I, I i think huh that's weird because it was just a lot of repetition and 
trying to think about different things and trying to what do you think how do you think this affects this and how do you think that affects this anyways i hope i gave you a good start and just on that note do you remember on tony hawks you used to do the quote it's like changing a spider-man yeah yeah i remember that <laughs> i remember that did you ever yeah. did you ever play in the level skate heaven in tony hawks pro skater 2 I, th- I think i did yeah i uh, think i played on the PlayStation 1. Oh, yeah, man. It was dope. You had to, like, to get the level normally, you had to beat the game. I think it was, like, 25 times. And I got I got up to 20, and then I got bored. But then you could just do a cheat code and get this giant... I, th- I think I did the cheat code. Yeah, Ow. eventually I did, too. I gave, <laughs> up. I gave up. I was like, screw this. This is boring. Yeah, that was a great game. I cool loved game. that game. That game was yeah. incredible. Or the slow motion thing, and you just like yeah. coming down. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so, up? Yeah. All right, last question, and it's quite a good one to end it on as we do go into the new year. It's from Adam Saunders, and it is, do you put plans slash goals together at the start of a year in terms of poker and maybe life? If so, any ideas on the best way to do this? I, uh, hmm. I, I generally... I find that this is a very interesting question because there, there's a there's a lot of times people are like, I want to make a big televised final table, which like maybe somebody in my position, that's a very, you know, that that's a conceivable goal. But, you know, realistically, if I'm thinking about it, you know, I'm going to play nine live events next year or whatever it is. It, uh, nine maximum would be huge. And like, you know, you, there is you cannot final table nine events. You're not going to final table one event out of nine, like 90% of the time. But I I don't want to discourage people from having lofty goals like that because you got to have something to aim for, but it is something you want to do. So I, what I try to do is break them down into small goals. You can attain every day. What, what can you do today that will put you in a better position tomorrow to uh, get to your really big dream. I think a lot of people make too many big dreams and they don't really have flexible, attainable goals that are going to boost them and get them there each day. Uh, when I was, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was, uh, I was an offensive lineman. Uh, Barry, I don't know if you know anything about American football, but that means I was on the line and uh, I had to block the quarterback from getting killed. I'm just kidding. I know you guys know a lot. But you got, you got to be a big guy. And I was, uh, I, I don't know this in kilos. I, I, I was, uh, I think I was like 110 kilos, 115, 120. I, I don't know the conversion. I was 230 pounds. And, uh, I, you know, when I was 15 years old, I, I think that might be an exaggeration. I know I got up to two bills and a little more. I think I got up to 210, 220 at one point. And uh, I was just fat. And then, you know, there came a point I, I just didn't want to play football anymore. I don't know why. I kind of wish I did. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get skinny. And I, I always had a lot of energy. And it never really hurt me eating like crap when I played uh, football. But now it was, you know, high school being overweight wasn't really a fun thing. So... My first goal was, you know, of course I wanted to go, okay, tomorrow I'm going to jog eight miles and then, you know, bench press this much weight and then I'm going to I'm gonna eat a protein shake and all that. That's what a lot of people do that with. They, they think the next day they're going to 
they're going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger and they're going to meditate in the gym. But that's not really (laughs) how it works. You have to do a small change. So the first thing I did was, okay, I'm going to run to the end of my block. I'm I'm not making this up. This is so pathetic. I'm going to run to the end of my block and I'm going to run back. And I did that. It took me all of five minutes. And when I came home, I was so winded. I went to the refrigerator. I was like, man, I need something to drink. And without thinking before I knew it, I'd finished an entire Coca-Cola. So to give you an idea of what a fat ass I was. And then, but you know, and of course I was like, dude, you are the dumbest person I've ever seen. You know, you just burned 20 calories and gained another 200. But I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to run the same amount and I'm going to drink water. And then I did it. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to run to the next neighborhood. 10 minutes. And then I did it. And then, okay, I'm going to run to the next neighborhood after that. And then I built this up until eventually I was running clear across my city, six, seven, eight, nine miles running for hours at a time. And I went down from two, let's say two ten. I don't know if two thirty was right. I went down from two ten to one fifty in high school. So I lost 60 pounds and there, there was little things with like my diet. It was like, okay, I eat a burger and fries every day. How am I going to change this? Well, I'll eat a, I'll eat a salad one day of the week, and then ne- the next week it'll be two days of the week. Then the next week it'll be three days of the week. And then eventually, you know, you do these small attainable changes and you see the progress, and you've got to measure the progress. Now, in poker, this would be uh, – I think Jared Tendler has written a lot about this, if you want to check yeah, this out. Yeah, definitely. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he, he seems to be a pretty good at as far as the mind frame thing goes. But, you know, you got to have things. There's a mental game and then there's a uh, there's a mental game and then there's a uh, strategy game, an actual not finding words today. Sorry. But what what Jared Tendler said that really was interesting to me is you don't want to focus on the problems that perhaps have been the most catastrophic in the past because that could just be variance you want to focus on the problems that you know the least about so uh one example i gave earlier in the episode was check raising i i just never check raised without a big hand and i was like i think that's a pretty big leak in my game because now whenever i check raise anybody who's you know i got paid off a lot because oh assassinato is always bluffing but anybody who's smart and could use a hud could realize when i check raise i probably had something and i knew i had to balance that out And that would have been so one thing I could have done is like, okay, you know, you you have your goals for the end of the year. I are not even the end of the year. You have your goal for forever in the future are two. I you should have one for next year. It's like, okay, I want to I want a final. I want to get my first five figure score or whatever it is. Right. But you're far from that. You're playing five, ten dollar tournaments, stuff like that. So. You go, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find one thing per week I'm going to work on, and I'm going to put in this many hours. I'm going to do this many workouts. And you don't want to say, like, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to do this, because if something comes up on Wednesday, you're bummed out because you screwed up the entire goal. You want attainable, flexible goals. So you have your big goal. You make your New Year's Eve list. You you, you have fun with it. And then – you, you hang that up somewhere in your office or your house. Uh, I did this when I was living in a garage with no bathroom and no 
uh, air conditioning or heating uh, back in Everett. And you hang up the goals and you go, okay, what am I going to do today to put me closer to that tomorrow? And they find uh, there was a TED Talks on grit. It was very funny. This little Chinese woman was talking about grit, which is it tends to be a word like old cowboys use in the States. But they found the people that succeeded in every field. This comprehensive study had nothing to do with IQ, looks, personality, or anything. It was just a lot of people realizing I'm putting in a little to get a lot later. If you expected immediate results, you're really going to be bummed out. So you just got to take it one day at a time. What can I do to be a little closer tomorrow? And you can never fault a man who is progressing, no matter how small. I think Aristotle said that or something, just so nobody thinks I'm profound. But (laughs) there's a, you know, if you do a little every day, you know, I started out being overweight, lots of pimples, no options, bad grades, uh, you know, um, family losing the house, moving to a garage and what a lot of people considered a bad neighborhood. I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it doesn't get that bad in Washington state, but you know, it, it was just, okay. I'm living in a garage. I'm playing, I'm paying 250 bucks a month for my rent and I'm mowing lawns to make up the rest of it. How am I going to get, you know, my goal was I want to be a professional poker player. And at the time, it just seemed like the dumbest thing anybody could say. Like, you're you're like, you know, you're lucky if you get a job at Blockbuster, kid, you know. So but I said, okay, I'm going to you know, what what can I do today? And, you know, it's okay. I'm going to grind five dollar sit and goes. And I grinded five dollar sit and goes for months and months and months. And it took me longer to get from zero dollars to a thousand dollars then it took me to get from a thousand to a hundred thousand, but yeah. building up that discipline prepares you for the later lessons and then read as much as you can educate yourself as much as you can. Anyways, I think good note to go out on. Yeah, definitely. And I think Alex touched on it there. There's a difference between dreams and goals. Like a dream is to say, everybody wants to final the freaking WSOP, you know, November nine or whatever they call it now. But, you've got to be real, you know, and realistic. And I think what you're saying there is like what Jared Tend, where people say that, do your goals in poker should be things like, I want to play X amount of hands this this month or this year, or I want to play this stakes by the end of the year, because you can break that down, like you're saying, into, okay, for me to move up in stakes, I need to play this amount of setting goals or this amount of cash hands, and on my win rate or whatever, I should be there by then. So it's definable. Whereas just saying a dream, you know, I want to play on high stakes poker with Phil Ivy and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice, but it's a dream. It's not a goal, really. Yeah, no, it's, it's not a goal. And to give you guys perspective on like a real like grinded out professional, my goals aren't. I, I've kind of accepted I'm not. I'm probably not going to play on high stakes poker ever in my life. I'll probably never make the November nine. You know, I might get a big final table. That'd be great, but it's probably not going to. It you know, it's probably not going to happen to be quite frank like I, I go to these live tournaments and i'm very fortunate to be in a financial position where and i i can go to some of these and you know sell off pieces and whatnot to my friends but you know i've accepted it's probably not going to happen my goal the goals i have are pay off my house pay off my back taxes move into something else 
for enjoyment because I, I really get scared about how many people like just never do anything but poker for their entire lives. Like, have you ever heard this story that Phil Ivey offered John Juwanda a million dollars to go become a doctor and John Juwanda yeah. didn't, didn't do it? Like, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that scares the shit out of me that I could become somebody, you know, just so complacent with my it, my place in life. So my goal is to have a home where if my wife and I ever have children, we can raise them in and go, look, this house is paid for. You never have to worry about losing it. That's not something I had growing up. We got eviction notices on my sister's birthday and stuff like that growing up. I want my kids to grow up with that. I want a little money in the bank to pay the expenses here. And that's something like I am really satisfied. I'm so grateful with God. I get a chance to go for that every day because that is something that is realistic. And you can put the, you know, it's a far off goal. It's certainly not going to happen overnight. It might not happen within five years, but it's certainly very attainable. And if you're putting work in, it can be done. But if I, if I, there were, you know, when I was 19, 20, like I just, I was on a rage because I was just the run to the litter growing up. And, you know, I had this high pitched voice. I, I still have it kind of now, but I, I had a surgery. I had a tumor and I took it out. And my voice was just high like Mickey Mouse on who smoked cigarettes. And I was fat and I was just this loser in my area and I was weird and I had Asperger's and I was just like, I'm going to win a live tournament. I'm going to show people who I am. And I made all this money. I could have I paid off my house a couple times now, you know what I mean? With the money I had back then, it wasn't enough. I had to get that big final table. I had to get that EPT win. And it just empties you. It kills you. You have to, you know take pleasure in the day-to-day stuff really enjoy that when people get paralyzed they don't i'm sorry barry i'm gonna rant i i just have to rant it's the only way that's gonna wake me up but when people are dying and i i've been close to a few they don't miss like you know like when somebody loses the function of their legs they don't go oh damn it i can't do cartwheels anymore they go "I, i can't dress myself this what I miss the most is being able to dress myself, take a walk with my son or something like that. Yeah. They they don't miss the lavish things. They miss the day to day things. And a lot of people when they're dying, they they just, you know, like a, a lot of people are just like, look, I just want to wake up and have my coffee and go to work and have that peace and have my work and that tranquility that I'm working for my family. They don't, they don't go like, I, I need to fly to Machu Picchu and see this before I die. They, they, it's the day-to-day things you're going to miss the most if you're about to leave this world or if you're lose, God, God forbid, lose the function of a limb. And if you start focusing on the, you know, the day-to-day, what am I really appreciating today? And oh, thank God I can do this today or you, even one thing my student does is he's like, he's very thankful even when he fails because he lo- he learned something that day. And now he's probably been one of the more successful players in Costa Rica because of this attitude. And if you focus on the day-to-day stuff and, you know, just pushing a little forward toward a big goal, but an attainable goal with little attainable goals, things, things become much more enjoyable and you'll love it much more for further reading. I'm going to recommend some Jews who I love. Uh, one's called, it was, 
for some reason I thought that would be funny, but I love I love the Jewish writers, man. I love them. <laughs> but it was like I was trying to drop the hard J and have some people freak out at home. One, one's called Happiness is a Serious Problem, a book by Dennis Prager. He's a talk show host. He's very conservative in the States, and a lot of people really don't like his views. But his book, I, I read this on my vacation, and it's just fantastic. His book on personal happiness and contentment. And Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning, excellent, excellent stuff. You'll really enjoy it going into the new year. And uh, don't recommend this book as much, but a book called Die Empty. I can't remember the writer. And The Power of Full Engagement. I read a lot of books. Uh, These are – I would recommend those two first. And if you can, check out out those others. I'm trying to remember what else. And read the Bible. It's good for you. It's the greatest book ever. But yeah, the Bible. Throw that. In. Yeah, throw that. You know, you know. And after, and after Barney's like help the third graders with green coloring crayons, maybe yeah. the Bible. That's what, yeah. that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, sorry. Okay. Well, one goal you should all have is to play the one hour New Year uh, special tournament. Yes. January January sixth. Free equity. Sunday. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. go ahead, go ahead. T- tons, tons of free equity there. I mean, what date was that? What date was that? It's important. The 6th, of, 6th of January, it's a Sunday, and it's 7 p.m. That's the times uh, we were usually running the league tournaments, and nobody's been in touch to say they were... Actually, one guy got in touch saying, uh, could you have it on a Monday? But it was like nobody else got in touch, so... You're never going to get a poker player to the computer on a Monday. I'm sorry, no. sir. So, uh, yeah, that's January 6th, Sunday, 7 p.m. on William Hill Poker. All the details are on oneouter.com under the, you'll see it on the front page, One Outer Special New Year Tournament. And there's lots of added Poker X Factor memberships. That's us parting company with PokerXFactor.com into the new year. And it's like a goodbye sort of present. They've given us all that. So it's been good working with them for the last few years, but we're both going on in different direction. So that is something for you all to get involved in. And as I say, if you set up your William Hill account, following all the details on the site, um, you we can send you an Amazon credit for £15 or we can even PayPal you the £15. So as long as you deposit £15 into William Hill and use promotional code ONEPODCAST, that's O-N-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all the details are on this site. And Alex, what's your Christmas message or... Uh, part and shot until uh, we see everyone in the new year. I like how you're saying Christmas message and not happy holidays, but Merry, <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy Ramadan, and have a crazy Kwanzaa and uh, Happy Hanukkah, although I don't know how many days you gents. Yeah, is it? I mean, it, it annoyed me that something in like a local school here, they, they got to the point, no, it was actually the switching on of the Christmas lights uh, a couple of years ago. They were changing it to uh, the Winter Festival or something like that. And it was like, come on. You know, it's like, I'm not deeply religious or anything, but the UK is a, I'm just a way to isolate all my listeners here right now on, on the last show of 2013. But, you know, it's a Christian country and stuff like that. And it is Christmas. This it's, is... it's Christmas. Yes, it I is. understand there are other celebrations on and stuff, but to me, I celebrate Christmas. So it's Christmas lights to me and the Christmas you know, lunch and Christmas Day, etc. This is our podcast, Barry, so we can offend as many people as yeah. we want. But no, I yeah. mean, yeah. you know, I have friends who are Muslims and Jews, and they go, they just had this thing in a, by the way, winter festival, 
more pagan, less pagan, yeah. you know, <laughs> winter solstice festival. Would that sound better? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's just extend it. You know what I mean? You know, and I hope I don't offend anybody with my views, but they just had this air force base in the States where it was like three air force cadets were complaining about this manger set up in in the air force and academy or whatever right and it got taken down uh by and you know i was i was listening to a lot of people talk about it in the american media and there was a lot of like jews and muslims who were like look it's not my it's not my belief but you know they're defending the country can they just have what 90 percent of the people believe in you yeah. know you can set up a thing for hanukkah nobody's you know nobody's going to be worried about that you know we can all you know we can all bring it together I, I don't know. That sounded pretty logical to me. Then it came out. One of the, one of the guys was strongly coercing a Jewish kid to be a Christian. And that, you know, that's not cool, but I, I don't see what that had to do with the manger. But anyway, uh, a lot of it's, a lot of it's political correctness. And that's what I kind of, we, we need to, it. it's not political correctness. Let's just call it what it is. It's leftism. It, it's, yeah. you can't judge anyone unless you're a conservative or a Christian are a Republican, in which case we can judge you as much as we like, which, you know, in that kind of hypocritical crap just drives me insane. By the way, this is coming from someone who's not conservative or liberal. I just I I grew up in Seattle and I was around a lot of this all the time and it just drove me nuts after a certain time. But I think the whole system's corrupt and everybody's ridiculous. So anyway, uh, so that was a party political broadcast. Yeah. From even if we have offended some of you, jump into the tournament. You're all welcome. All races, religions, creeds. Everyone's welcome in the tournament yeah, in January the sixth. We love you all. And my wife's yeah. Pakistani, so you know it's all good. Uh, she says no, she's not. But anyway, her last. <laughs> right. Her last. I'll leave you. I'll leave you with that domestic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, guys, write me an e- email at uh, assassinocoaching at gmail dot com. You want to get in touch about lessons? Uh, check out. My Facebook at facebook.com slash assassinato. Uh, Twitter at the assassinato. Uh, if you want to check out articles I write and all that. Uh, Poker Head Rush has a lot of my blogs and strategy posts and stuff like that. And yeah, there's a lot of free stuff that comes out there. Just check it out. And if you like what I have to say, hire me for an hour and I'll tell you a lot of stuff I don't put in the, I, I don't put in the articles. And um, if you want to get more questions in for the next episode of Ask Alex, which we'll be recording in the new year, then email questions at oneouter.com or tweet at oneouter.com. That's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. And everyone have a good Christmas and, you know, try and enjoy yourselves and don't get too worked up with polka over the Christmas period. Have a good All right, cheers. Cheers. Take care, guys. <laughs>